0: As you grow your landscape company, there are five key hurdles you'll encounter on your path to $10 million. Many of them you'll encounter more than once, and you'll encounter them even if you're nowhere close to $10 million in revenue. In today's podcast interview with Mike Callahan, we'll uncover what are those five hurdles and how can you overcome them, including how a scorecard can help you retain A players on your team, the simple concept of the big three and how you can give each employee on your team a big three to focus on every day and a whole host of other business takeaways that you should focus on now before the end of the year. hey everyone jack justice here and welcome to the landscapers guide podcast where we share sales marketing and leadership inspiration for the snow and landscape industry today i'm excited to bring mike callahan back on the show he's got a lot of valuable tips that i think are perfect to listen to and reflect on as we're in winter end of the year good business information and i want to let you know that we have some exciting live events coming up some virtual workshops and a ski event and i hope to see you at that so check out landscapersguide.com events see our show notes for a link and i'll see you at those events and now let's hear the conversation with mike all right everyone welcome back to the landscapers guide today i'm excited to bring back mike callahan he's the ceo and founder of simple growth he helps people his company helps people with crm setups marketing automation and they also have a coaching division He is a repeat guest, we interviewed Mike in March of 2021, uh, right after we launched our show. And uh, that was on how to automate your landscaping sales process and avoid business owner built burnout. Um, So see our show notes for a link to that episode. And today, we're going to talk about five growth hurdles that businesses experience between zero and ten million dollars and mike has personal experience this with this many times mike what else should we know about you that i haven't already said
1: yeah just a kind of a quick background um started actually a lawn care business in the early days in high school just to pay for that car insurance and um on a car parents instilled some really good work ethic um Long story, really, how we got our, our, our purpose here is we help business owners take their life back from the business in the lawn care industry. Uh, after going through high school and college, uh, looking at all the all the influencers, I thought, uh, in the in the local industry at that point, uh, back in 95, 96, YouTube really wasn't a thing, probably dating myself, going on and getting all the content that you're providing and on the different YouTube channels didn't really exist. So the only way you actually went out and found uh, a business to model after was usually in your local market. So I looked at all the guys and girls running these companies multi-million dollar companies I thought were really successful. There was one common piece, Jack. They all had um, all the chaos of the business coming at them. They were fighting fires. There was definitely no cell phone free vacations at this point. Uh, To compound the problem, I went and took five years of college at at a uh, college called RIT and did business management Uh, through some of the entrepreneurial classes. These business owners, uh, one of which owned multiple supermarkets, was literally working a cell phone in between classes or breaks because chaos was going on. So as we got to... um, Basically, at year, five years of college, ending it, uh, I had two to three full time crews mowing out um, in the you know while I was out in school, and had basically built a business that the way you probably should have built it is that business was running without me for the most part because I was full time college student a trimester system which was really heavy on uh, the academics. So I got got to the end and uh, had a conversation with my folks. I said, "Man, do I go my corporate route? Or do I go this lawn care route?" Obviously, you can guess the route I went um, was probably making at least six figures. Uh, profit in the lawn care business at that point. So I was kind of looking at it from a financial standpoint. Why would I ever want to go to the cor- corporate place and make 50, 60 grand at best going in? Um, so what I did is I dug in, dug in, unfortunately, and said, okay, well, I need to be the center of this freaking thing now, day in and day out, like everybody else who's successful in my market. Uh, so I ended up marrying the girl that I was dating through high school. And probably five, maybe six years after college, um, literally on Valentine's Day, she came home and was like, Mike, I'm out of here. This business runs your life. Uh, but really, what I had done is built a business after college that literally destroyed my personal life, work life balance, friends, family. This business consumed me. I was working 70, 80 hours a week, seven days a week, sometimes 100 hours a week. Uh, so, after kind of hit rock bottom, I searched the internet how to get my life back for my business. I found Tim Ferriss, four hour work week, uh, dug in deeper, found marketing automations, and uh, at one night i went in with no tech background and bought an automation software program thinking i was gonna be running the same for the beaches of thailand and bali so obviously it didn't quite work out that way but I, I took every waking minute uh that i didn't have stayed at home instead of going to the office and literally automated this business and went from that 70 to 80 hours a week seven days a week to three to five hours a week to becoming an absentee owner at 30 days at a pop if i wanted to so that that was kind of the journey um Fast forward, probably another five to eight years after that, uh, an acquisition company came in, our business wasn't for sale. We ended up selling it um, as we got a local competitor to, to uh, bid them up. Uh, but at that acquisition, we started this company, I really got serious about this company called Simple Growth, where we help businesses with done few automations, serum uh, setups, such as service autopilot, co-pilot, with job costing matrices, and then we have a coaching division that helps folks get to a million, and then we have our masterminds that goes from a million to beyond. And kind of diving in exactly what uh, some of the stuff we we're, were going through and actually went through in my business during the five stages.
0: Well, Mike, so you successfully sold your company, um, your landscape company, you've got your your software company, you've got uh, the coaching side, the automations, You've you've worked with a lot of different companies in the green industry. What are some of the challenges that business owners, what are some of the hurdles that they face? Let's say zero to a million. What are some of the things that you see? some of the hurdles along the way to a million dollars in annual revenue.
1: Yeah, Jack. So basically, there's there's as you're looking at, there's five distinct areas. Actually, it's almost six distinct areas. Um, and we kind of look at the size of the business and the employees and the hurdles. Um, so if it's cool with you, do you mind if I kind of break that down per, per area and kind of put some high level on it?
0: Yeah, I'd love that.
1: Yeah, so as we're looking through stage one, two, three, four, and five, uh, we're looking at the number of employees in the business, the annual sales, the team size, and really the biggest thing is the growth hurdle. And what I've learned through going through this is that these growth hurdles do not actually. Uh, disappear. They continue to follow you. So it is possible. If you're watching this, you're million, two million in revenue, you can literally put your head down and grind through this. Uh, But if you're doing that, eventually these things are going to catch up with you. Um, They're not going to allow you or your leadership team to be liberated from the business and actually work on the strategy. So stage one, I actually like to break up in in, in one A and one B. Stage one A, you're just starting out. uh, You've got a full-time job. uh, And literally your biggest hurdle is time. How do we actually go out and work on the business while well, we got a full time gig? Uh, soon, soon after that, traditionally most people are like you know hell with the man. I'm working for myself. He's making all this money off of me, so I'm going to go out and actually start a full time business. At this point, you've got probably a team of one. You're running between about four to ten thousand dollars a month uh, in revenue, but your biggest issue is leads. Um, you can't get enough leads out of your friends, family, maybe church groups, wherever you're pulling leads out of. Uh, you simply got to have enough leads to keep the lights on. Uh, so that's the biggest issue, and then we roll into this new employer stage. So you've got about two to three employees and your revenue is somewhere between 100 to 300,000. This is where even if you hit a million dollars, maybe two million, this issue may still be there. So if if you're hitting these parts and you're hearing between one to 300,000, give it a second because a lot of times the clients we work with when they come in, These are still big hurdles in the business, Jack, but really the biggest issue here is sales. And what I mean by this is there's certain things that we need to be tackled. So the first thing as a business owner, um, whether you're small or big, is the business owner traditionally is the full-time salesperson. Uh, But what we really need to do is have a distinct time, whether it's part-time or full-time. When you clock into that part of the day or that week, all you do is sales. And there's got to be a budgeted sales goal and an actual. So you can be able to actually go in and say, okay, this is the percentage to budget, and this is the percentage of time left in the month. But if we're not really clear and dedicating that time to sales, this hurdle will not stop. And what we traditionally see, Jack, is um, we'll do a lot, a lot of sales, and then we do a lot, a lot of work. And it's really this teeter-totter effect, um, and that's the biggest issue. So that first piece of that sales part's got to be tackled so we get really clear on the sales goal, and that's what we're doing in that blacked-out time. The second part of that is we need to get really clear on our financials behind the sales. So it is not scalable for just the business owner to have all these estimates in their head. Um, But before we even pull it out of the business owner's head, there's one number, Jack, that we need to to get a hold of. Is really is a break-even number. What does it cost per man hour, per division, per guy or girl? So as soon as they clock in to when they clock out, that's what it's costing you per hour. Now, we saw some of those in average, depending whether it's maintenance or design, build, or fert. Running maybe between like 38 and 45 bucks per labor hour last year. Now with uh, inflation and different things going up, I'm seeing those as high as 48 to almost in the low, the low to high se- uh, low to high 60s, uh, depending on the industry. So they've definitely changed. So if you haven't updated this break-even, if you even have it and you're using a financial consultant, I highly recommend circling back to them before we go into next year because that number has definitely changed. But in the main part of this here, we've got to have a consistent sales process being tracked. That's all we're doing. We clock and clock out. We need to have a break even per uh, division with a revenue per man hour goal. And eventually we want to evolve into a production rate based estimating system that can be delegated to whether it's somebody in your office or a virtual assistant halfway around the world. Uh, But we've got a fully flushed out system that's financially based, set goals with time allotment and a system that uh, anybody in in the office or virtual assistant can do. So those are the first two stages, Jack, that we're looking at. Before I jump into stage three, um, we're looking at about two to three employees, and that's 100 to about 300000 in annual revenue. But uh, obviously, you've got a lot of experience in the industry, so I don't want to do all the talking here. I don't know if you have any questions or concerns before I kind of hop into stage three.
0: Well, I, I like what you said here, and one of the things that I, I think happens, especially when you grow from the stage, I went through this in running my own marketing agency of going full-time and then bringing people on and not knowing your, your break even numbers is, I think what causes, I think it's something like 96% of businesses go out of business in the first year. And largely it's because they're just, they're not making any profit at all. They don't know any of these numbers. So I'm just more so agreeing that, that these are on point ideas and challenges and the, the sales process, the repeatable sales process is something that we help people with all the time. And I like how you said getting to a production rate estimating system that anyone can do, because a lot of times people listening, they say, oh, I'm the only one who can do estimates that maybe you're the only one who is doing estimates, but doesn't mean you're the only one who can, you know, when, when you have a system and when you have your numbers shared with your team.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I, I just did a talk we're kind of in conference season or coming out of it here. Uh, but I did talk um, a keynote for a little over 500 lawn care and landscape companies. And uh, literally it's like show of hands of how many people actually know that break even of. And I'll tell you, Jack, for a little over 500 people, if I could have counted maybe 20 people in that audience, that would have been a lot. Um, so it's a scary reality. And really, if you're looking at this or listening to this, uh, you, it, you really, it's almost the analogy of playing Russian roulette with your financial future, your employees, your family, and eventually, you know, you're, That 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 chamber is going to be loaded. It's going to get you right in the face. Um, In the early days after that divorce, I talked about um, we stopped running the numbers and being uh, really accurate with the numbers. We we shifted almost to a bank account balance. And that summer, uh, if we had one hundred and twenty to one hundred fifty thousand in the bank account, that was that was that was normal for us. But normally we'd be running the QuickBooks budget versus actual. Uh, The issue there, Jack, is we were running those cards weekly, and the payment was coming in before the bill. So I ended up losing 75 to $80,000 that summer. And it was too late. Um, but that's, that's the scary thing that can happen if you don't know those numbers and you're not tracking them. Um, you, are putting yourself and your, your employees and your family at risk. So that's why I'm really so passionate about getting these foundational pieces in before we go to scale. Well,
0: well and I, I think it's also, it's something <clears throat> like you said, I think maybe even pre- before we pressed record that big businesses, need to know these numbers and they're a moving target. So you're never really done calculating this number. And in fact, I'm, I'm running, you know, I have a mastermind also with some of my top clients and we're doing part two on production rates and somebody else is sharing their spreadsheet and the person who brought it up is a $10 million company that's been in business for 40 years. And they're like, we thought we had this dialed in, but we're realizing in October of 2023 that we don't we're needing to make some adjustments so let's let's talk about it for a minute because i think it's something that sometimes people are embarrassed to admit you you, you just nailed it that that is it and you're and and maybe you lose sight of it or you haven't looked at it in a while so let's let's kind of just dig into the break-even point how how do you figure it out how do you yes your people to figure it out and like really know it and make it meaningful
1: yeah, so let me preface this. I would highly suggest getting an industry professional, uh, Jason Cobb, Jim Houston, just to name a few. These, This is all these guys do day in and day out. Now, if, if you don't have the bandwidth or you can't get on their schedules soon enough, um, we used to do financial consulting. It's just something we don't really dive into. But if you're just looking for... A rough, dirty number within, well, it's probably going to get you in about 25 to 50 cents an hour. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty accurate. But uh, if you're looking at it, if you're looking at your P&L, your profit and loss in QuickBooks, we want to run this in an accrual basis. Uh, first thing I want to know is what, what's your total expenses. And there's going to be an expense line up top your COGS account, your cost of goods sold. It's up top in the bottom, top of the PL and l Scroll all the way to the bottom. There's an additional expense. That's your fixed general ministry of cost. You're going to add those two together, Jack. Uh, up top in that COGS account, again... You're going to have your total expenses um so you're going to have your labor you're going to have your materials and you have subcontractors so what you're going to do is go literally take your total expenses and back out your materials and subs and then we're going to divide in um, our total production just in the field that's going to get us our break-even number now the piece that most people forget or don't look at is the debt service our long-term payable loans that's going to be this kind of the silent killer that nobody talks about. That's living on your balance sheet, Jack. So what I recommend once you do that um, is actually go over to your balance sheet and add back, add back in to your expense line, what your debt service is. So you're going to really have your total actual break even. So once again, if you're kind of going on a high level, we've got our total expenses mm-hmm. from your cogs and your bottom line, uh, GNA expenses, that's going to be your total expenses. We're going to back out our subs. We're going to back out our materials. And then we're going to add in our debt service. And then you divide that by your total production in the field. That's going to get you a pretty, pretty close number without spending five to six hours with a financial consultant. If that's something that's not in your budget.
0: Well, so one, one thing when you're doing this exercise that I think is important is, is looking at a, at a date range with complete financials. Cause like you correct,
1: rolling 12, I don't think we um, mentioned
0: that. We haven't mentioned the rolling 12, but like you said in that summer after you got divorced and stuff you were looking mainly just at your bank accounts i think and um when if, if a customer had paid or not will will impact things quite a bit or if uh the timesheets are are in are basically what i'm getting at is i think you have to look at a, at a date range in the past where you're you're certain that all of the expenses from a job all of the material costs, the labor, things like that. Cause I know that some people, they're not super timely with this. And if you're missing, I don't know, big, you know, material costs from a project that you haven't paid for yet or things like that, um, that that can give you some bad data. So like how much, yeah. data, so it's it's like November right now. Let's, let's pretend that I wanted to do this to kind of get clear before January, should I look at January through October 31st? Would that be?
1: Yeah, that's going to probably be close enough, but probably a rolling 12 because you're going to take a snapshot of all 12 months. Um, that rolling 12 would like capture that whole area. So if there's any seasonality or issues there, it's going to hopefully catch some of that seasonality okay. as well. Um, okay. But what you hit on is you want to make sure all the numbers are in there. That's for sure.
0: Right. So, so rolling twelve meaning looking at it from October twenty two, versus through October, October end of October twenty twenty
1: three. Correct, and, and to your point, we want to make sure everything's reconciled and job costed up through those months. Uh, so we want to take an accurate snapshot where everything's in there.
0: Okay, and you mentioned some great people. Um, we can put links to them in the bottom. Okay, so so moving on, I think we got to to two. I think we were at. Point. Yeah,
1: so we're You're we're right. jumping uh, so oh. we're, let's, we're jumping into an interesting spot at stage three. We got four to ten employees, um, and Jackie probably can relate to this even with a marketing company. Uh, the first problem is service. So we've got now the business owners hiring people that they don't know, and based on a team of four to ten people, those people that you don't know are actually out in the field doing the work, and you cannot physically supervise all of them. So how do we set up simple services that are repeatable? And can be delegated to other people on your team. So when we go to set these softwares up, I think that the record is about 250 services uh, that I saw in a software that they're literally trying to do. So we really want to get it down to maybe five gateway services that we can sell over the phone or through our website. And at maximum, maybe five to eight services that we're upselling off of. We want to create a simple scalable business. As you get bigger to two to three to five million, you may offer, you know, upload or you know, expand the service offering, but at least to get to a million what I've found is the quickest way to get there and the most profitable is creating a very simple, scalable business. And when we've got going out and hiring guys and girls, we don't know, and they're doing the work by themselves, simple to service. Uh, the easier is to train and keep quality and then to compound that uh, marketing. So now that we've got our sales system put together, this is kind of right in your wheelhouse. We need to be able to go out and create consistent, predictable client acquisition through marketing. So uh, Jonathan Potoshnik of the Lawn Care Millionaire co-founder of Service Autopilot gave one of the most eloquent analogies, Jack, that, that I, I still use today, but I got to give credit where credit's due. But imagine we had this imaginary vending machine here. Every one of your ideal clients is just sitting there. Your perfect client avatar. And you knew for every 150 bucks you stuck, stuck in the top of that vending machine, that perfect client kicked out consistently how many hundred and fifty dollars would you stick in there as many as you probably could uh but the idea is we need to be able to know what our client acquisition cost is per marketing source so if i put eighty thousand dollars across three different marketing sources each one of these should have a certain return of leads and a certain closing regime a percentage and that's going to net out a client acquisition cost and eventually if you have enough data and good data we can know the client lifetime value so we'll find out when we've got those different vending machines not all leads are created equal. So, if we have one from Home Advisor, it might cost you 30 bucks to get a new client. Maybe you'd want to double down on that. But when you actually figure out the client lifetime value, that Home Advisor mm-hmm. lead or client for 25 bucks is only worth 250 bucks. Maybe you got one through your website, through SEO or Facebook that's running 150, 170 bucks, but they're worth 15 to $20,000 client lifetime value. So, it allows you to be a full picture of the return on investment and the acquisition cost. Uh, but that's going to be our stage three, four to four to ten business or four to ten employees, uh, about three hundred to a million dollars. Um, we've got one main team for management and marketing and service right now. Are your is your biggest growth hurdle?
0: I I like that when when you're talking about getting to a million profitably and having five gateway services and five to eight, you know upsells. Do you, how often do you see landscape companies offering too much, meaning they're going outside of their core service? And how do you handle that? Do you coach people to stay away from doing that? Or I think there's that temptation that, oh, I'm, I'm growing revenue. I want to offer all these additional services. Um, and, and that is a great way to grow a landscape company in some ways if you're staffed well and if you have the services, but also it can create a lot of chaos. And if you don't have your estimating dialed in, if you don't have your services dialed in, it can, you can just be losing money even while you're making revenue.
1: Yeah, it's that complexity. It's slowing you down. And, and as we talk about our stage four and the percentages of small businesses, not even long care business, to get two million, there's a reason. But if we get a real simple business going up and eventually expand it, that's going to be the key to it. Uh, but it's not unusual. So we do several hundred software setups on service autopilot, copilot, to mention a few. Uh, but I would say the majority of them, Jack, come in with way too many services. They're average at best in a lot of things. And they don't even know if they're profitable. And then what it's doing is the services they're really good at that are simple. The non-profitable ones are actually diluting that. And it's just literally hindering their growth. And when you're going out and hiring these people you don't know, the complexity of some of these jobs is creating an almost impossible thing with a business owner. Like the early days that I told you, I had to be on every job and I had to manage micromanage stuff that, that almost lends itself to have to happen because you've created such complexity.
0: Yeah. So staying focused on what you do best and then adding on, I, I don't know, there's no right or wrong time to do it. I think it's, it's when your business is ready, but there's, I don't know. How do you, how do you figure out when you're ready though? To, to expand beyond those initial yeah. services?
1: The ones we're seeing successful is about at 1.5 to 2 million. Um, they've got the, the, the core gateway services that are downselling to and then upselling the ancillaries to double and triple the, the client value. Uh, Jeff Dominic, who uh, owns an equity group called KeyServe. Um, we do a lot of work with key serve and, and, and one of the talks that Jeff gave to our, our group, when we were talking about it at a site tour down at Delacasa Casa in uh, Mooresville, North Carolina, uh, it's Jeff traditionally likes to see the acquisitions, uh, the best acquisitions are getting up to that million and a half to 2 million. And then they're coming across and cross selling or upselling that, that client base. Uh, but from what he's seeing in his experience, and I can say it's almost identical, uh, is that million and a half to 2 million till they get to it? Cause it's almost, can you afford a new division manager of, this division you're building Hmm. and if you can't that's probably not a good time to add it because you're really what you're almost doing eventually depending on the makeup whether it's maintenance and construction or design build you're adding almost almost a mini little company underneath that umbrella Uh, but it's it really the companies that we're seeing grow really quickly and very profitably have a very simple scalable service makeup
0: the the third challenge was really around service and marketing what happens around what's the fourth
1: yeah, stage four. So we're, we're breaking that magic million-dollar mark. We've got about 11 to 25 employees, uh, maybe a little, few, a couple more employees if you're a maintenance uh, business because you're going to be a little more labor-heavy, which would be obvious there. Uh, but 11 to 25 employees, 1 to 3 million in sales. Um, and your team size is really going to be multiple teams and uh, leaders in the business. Uh, but as you're going into it, if you've broken that million-dollar mm-hmm. mark, you know, take a minute and, and really enjoy it because you've broken literally – The top three to five percent, really close to five to seven percent of all business, small businesses, in the United States. That's just not long care landscape. Uh, So you're really an elite business here, but you're you're facing a whole new set of problems around people and systems. So if you remember in stage three, the business owners going out and hiring people they don't know. Well, now at this point, the people you've hired that you don't know are going out and hiring people they don't know. Uh, So it's a big issue there. And between 11 and 25 team members, maybe a little bit more on the maintenance side, we've got systems that we need to build in. So we've got these people that we don't know that have hired people they don't know. What are the hiring systems? How do we go out and hire, train, and fire to core values? How do we get really clear on our mission and drive that through the process? How do we go out and build internal systems for scheduling and billing and all the things that need to be done at scale? Because at this point, the business owner really should be empowering a leadership team. So how do we build the systems that evolve without the actual business owner themselves? That's kind of where we get to the core of it. Once we get to stage five, I'm going to suggest some of those hurdles from that three to 10 million growth company. Uh, is running about 26 to 100 employees. But what you're going to find there is in that stage five business between three to 10 million, your biggest growth hurdle is leadership and culture. And what I'm going to suggest, at least in the last few years, I've seen leadership and culture is generally shifting over to stage four and happening before we get to stage five. And the reason why I think that is, is the labor market. It's really hard to go out and hire. And retain a players. And the only way you retain a players, in my, my opinion, is getting really clear on a purpose. So it's simple growth. We help business owners take their life back. Everybody on our team drives that one goal. It's customer focus around that purpose. There's nothing we do that doesn't add to that purpose. Um, and then we've gone in and created a culture, and this is the same exact thing we did in the lawn care company. So we got really clear on these core values. So and we we started to hire, train, and fire, and we started to create job descriptions and roles that actually aligned around these core values and in addition these a players when we created this culture and aligned it with productivity the a players wanted to know what winning looked like and if they were winning so if you're just sending your crews out an amazing example for lawn mowing and they cut 20 lawns is that winning jack is it losing well i got the job done but what, what are the things that spell out winning? We almost create this scorecard. We like to call this a big three methodology. But if each person in the company can only pull three levers to get to, let's say, our $3 million revenue goal this year, uh, and we have three things our A and B as measure by. So maybe the revenue, uh, that, you know, three, that $3 million mark, we've got the number of crews and we got uh, the actual number of clients. But, but we're going to get really non-emotional of what success looks like to hit our goal for the year. We back that all the way down to the employee level. So on a very simple maintenance crew, the crew leader's big three may be budget versus actual, a quality score, Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe we have some kind of uh, PPE, personal protection equipment, uh, something around that, or maybe pre- and post-trip reports that we're doing around the equipment. Whatever that third piece is, it's going to be important at that size of the business or Mm -hmm. bottleneck. It may just be literally, is the truck clean for the next day? Because sometimes, let's face it, the guys are slobs in there. We want a clean-looking, presentable, professional truck. Um, but we get really clear on that. And then they know at the end of each day, if, if they hit those, those big three, they're reported publicly on a daily and weekly basis. We almost have a, a little competition each week per crew. Uh, but now the A players know what winning looks like, and they know if they're winning. And, and the analogy I'd like to use here is, you imagine going to a sports game, Jack, with no scoreboard.
0: You know, this is really funny because uh, I coach a soccer team, and um, I was talking with, with somebody about a different group where they actually didn't keep score and they wanted the kids just to, I don't know, feel good about playing. And I'm really opposed to that. I think you need to keep score. And even, even when you lose, there's something to learn from it. But I, I know, I couldn't imagine going to a sports game of any kind where there was no scorekeeping.
1: <laughs> it's interesting you say that. So um and both my daughters are great but the older one Stella like she is hyper hyper competitive like she she would be the A player uh for sure but but she she's keeping the score on her own at the baseball game because they don't keep track yet and she she'll tell you exactly what the score is at the end of the game and she's really excited they won or she's pissed off how do we get better and beat uh, them but like I think it's natively built into these A players and athletes yes. to keep the score and, and and you're going to literally push them away if your culture, if your, your business doesn't have a culture and productivity that align and really the best thing that your employees can say is I'm clear. Did I win? Did I lose? I agree. Here's compensation. And this is what I'm getting compensated for.
0: The clarity is so important. And I, you know, I read a management book. I'm not going to say what it was. I, I'm not into it. It doesn't matter, but I read, I read a management book and I really disagreed with it because this, this company said that they don't have goals, and they don't like setting clear goals. And I was like, this is nonsense. This is like, I just had this reaction to this book. I was like, this is garbage. And when I looked that company up on Indeed and Glassdoor, they had scathing reviews. So this was a very large company with a terrible culture, terrible retention. Their employees did not like working there. I, I think having clarity around goals and how you're doing, and then praising it publicly and also talking about it openly when it's when you're off track i found in my own company is very motivating and i i I like the way that you you broke it down for the big three even for the maintenance crew and and what is theirs and how can how can you make it a a daily win i think that's really important to find those daily wins especially during the 100 days of hell like because like this is hard work right it's hot it's you're understaffed and and having clear wins for people will also then create financial opportunity too. talk to me a little bit. How does the financial incentive play into that? Or, I mean, we're not probably going to bonus people just for cleaning out the truck, but, um, how, how does this tie into a players want to get compensated?
1: Yes. I mean, there's really two ways of looking at it. You've got your labor in the field, your production staff, and you've got your office staff. So uh, one of my good buddies, uh, Garrett Matthews, owns a Matthews a tree and passed out in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, without totally getting in his financials, he allows me to share some of the stuff he's doing because he's just, he's crushing it. Uh, but company, a little, little over 10 million. Uh, but, but Garrett gives a percentage of the profit to his leadership team. So they've got their salary, but it's basically, he's got a sick culture, but it's also based on productivity good property prop uh productive profit uh very similar to what we did at at callahan's lawn care uh but but garrett's given them a piece of that pie and and they're tracking it weekly and monthly because obviously they want a piece of that on the flip side just like we did at callahan's lawn care now it's called p for p uh the popular term it was piece rate back in the day uh but we would actually have their pay based on the budgeted hours and a quality score tied to that, so it wasn't uncommon for someone to have a three to four dollar an hour, technically raise on an average per hour because they're working harder and more efficient. Now, it's a minimum threshold of our or revenue each team or employee needs to generate. Um, but basically, if your goal was to be out by three o'clock and have a better work-life balance and get your kids off the bus, as long as you hit that quality score and hit your minimal hours, we were good. We had another gentleman, uh, Carlos, that came in from Mexico City every year. Uh, he lived here, uh, was a U.S. citizen, but he had dual citizenship and he went back to Mexico every year. Carlos wanted to work as long as he possibly could. So the other gentleman with him uh, was an H-2B worker. So they worked longer hours and we ended up building more route density. So it was really, you can empower your team member to almost have their own little business within yours. So if their goal was to just work minimum amount of hours and make the most amount of money they can, if their goal was to not work the winter, in the, winter the winter months and just crush it in the summer, and double down, we empowered them to do that, but it was it created a culture almost like them drinking the Kool Aid, they could actually attain the goals they wanted and they were aligned with the company goals.
0: Well, Mike, we could continue talking about this, and I know there's a lot more. Um, we've got to wrap up though. Was there anything else on the five stages of business or the five hurdles, um, that we didn't get to that you wanted to share before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, Jack, I think we covered them. I, I think just the, the key takeaways. Those hurdles, whether it's time, leads, sales, marketing with uh, service, people and systems, or leadership and culture, those don't ever go away. And as you alluded to, Jack, so they sometimes tend to evolve just like that break even number. Uh, but if you haven't gotten really clear on your financials and put that into place and updated that for next year, uh, that would be my, my biggest takeaway get really clear on the numbers, run a non emotional business, um, and continue to watch. And, and consume this content because we want to go out and out, learn our competition. And that, that's the key is continue to develop as a leader because the leader you are today is not the leader leadership skills. You're going to have at three to five to 10 million. So we need to go out and continue to, to improve ourselves. And as we grow a larger team, we need to continue to improve our leaders because what got us to one point skill set wise is not going to get us in the next. So we want to teach those folks up or eventually replace them if we have to.
0: Well, and on that note, I, I talked with one of my clients who has grown beyond 10 million And one of the things that he said was the hardest was about the people and realizing that some of the people who got him from 1 million to 1 million were not the people to get him to 3 million and from three to five and from five to 10 and having to um, graduate some of those employees or find different rules for them. So I think that's one of the other not fun parts of running a business is is the people aspect because what is rewarding about it is the people aspect. But sometimes your business outgrows certain people or your people outgrow you. So it's, there's just just kind of the nature of the game. And
1: the scary part is sometimes that business can outgrow you. If you're not willing to continue to grow, um, you may have to look at that 10, $12 million mark and beyond to actually find a a CEO to actually run that business.
0: Well, that might not be a terrible thing. Um, to, to find a CEO to run your company. Maybe, I
1: wouldn't be complaining. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe, I don't know. Um, my coach, my agency coach talks about um, experiencing depression though at some of these at these milestones of like people in my mastermind, well, they'll, they'll have reached 5 million and they're like super depressed. and he, And then they talk about how the company doesn't need them anymore and they feel like they've lost some sense of identity that they've had. And usually, Very common, you know. Um, so I see that in the landscape industry too, and I think you just need to find something else that challenges you when you reach that point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got a lot of folks in our in our, our coaching division that have actually ele- uh, elevated to become coaches with us after they got certified because they, they the fulfillment wasn't there anymore.
0: Well, Mike, um, you've been a wealth of information on this show. You have your own Facebook Live show. Um, thanks for having me there. So everyone should check that out. I'm going to put links to that. Where else can we connect with you if we want to learn more?
1: Yeah, best place is uh, Simple Growth Systems uh, with an S um, dot com. Or if you want to just direct it, book a direct call with somebody on our team just to kind of get a free business analysis and see with the automations where your business is at and what you might need to go into next year. It's uh, real simple. SGS SGScall.com.
0: Love it. All right well i'll put links to both of those in the uh, show notes and mike thanks so much for coming on the landscaper's guide
1: awesome thanks for having me and thanks for uh, raising the professional level in the industry it's been awesome
0: my pleasure thank you i hope you got some value from that conversation with mike i know i did i always learn a ton every time i talk to him and i'm a big fan of having a scorecard we have a scorecard at ramblin jackson we're we're measuring everything but only the most important things. So we're measuring a lot, but we're able to look at that scorecard together as a team and see what's on track, what's off track, um, who's at capacity, who's under capacity that may be able to help out when another person is over capacity. So for me, that scorecard gives me a lot of insight into my company and can't imagine running mine without it. So that was just one of the takeaways that I wanted to share from this. And um, the other one was around sales process. Totally agree with Mike around sales process. And one of our goals at Ramblin Jackson is to get the owner out of sales. And we have some workshops designed to do just that. So check them out at landscapersguide.com events. I hope to see you at one of them. And thanks for listening to The Landscapers Guide. My name's Jack Jostis, and I'll talk with you next week. <laughs>